0: Hey, Dot was that written out? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it had a good flow to it.
1: It was uh it was of it was better than a stick in the eye.
0: Welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Joseph Jorowski here with Todd Mack, and each week we look at a great character and a great story. Today we're talking about Lance Kilkenny in
1: Kilkenny, the 1954 novel by Louis L'Amour. Uh, the character of Kilkenny appeared in a couple other novels and several short stories, but because L'Amour reworked and rewrote earlier stories, it's hard to give a, a specific timeline of the character's appearances. The titles of the other, shorts, uh, the other stories are the novels The Writers of Lost Creek, The Mountain Valley War... And the short stories West of Dodge and a gun for Kilkenny and the novella Monument Rock. L- Lamour wrote eighty nine novels, fourteen short story collections, and two nonfiction books. That's a lot of writing. Yeah, he was uh, prolific and um, great in my opinion. So Todd, how did you come to this novel? Uh, I think I can safely say that Louis Lamour was my is my first kind of literary I don't know, love or obsession or or something. It was the first novel, the first novel that I read that was sort of an adult, a a, a novel written for adults, uh, was called, um, The Empty Land. It's a novel by Lamore. And, uh, I felt, I felt very grown up when I read, when I read it. Love and romance and lots of gunfighting and, and uh, fist fighting and it just felt um, I felt like I had turned a page I had never read anything quite like it and uh, and I wanted more <laughs> and um, I think I've read I, I know I have not read all 89 of Lamore's novels but I have read many most of them for sure and this this was all during like elementary school and junior high uh, I would get anytime I would get money I would take it to the used bookstore and pick up uh Lamar novels. So I have a pretty. Which I'm guessing there were many to choose from. There are many to choose from, and they're very cheap. And I have uh, quite a collection. It's one of my, it's one of the collections that will never that will never go, until I bequeath it to some uh, descendant who will then take it to the DI probably. But, <laughs> but for <laughs> now, uh yeah, I I, I really uh, like my. For our non-Utah listeners, uh, the DI is Goodwill. Goodwill, yeah, it's a thrift <laughs> store, um, <laughs> in Utah, so. Uh, so yeah, I was, I, I was a huge Lamore fan, uh, early on. It was really influential in, uh, my formation as a reader. And Kilkenny is one of the characters that stands out in my mind, um, among a lot of really great characters that, that Lamore created. So the
0: only Lamore book that I had ever read, you lent me, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't a Western. Uh, I should note, I knew about Lemoore because my oldest brother had a big Lemoore phase that sounds uh, similar to yours. Uh huh. <laughs> where, where he read a lot of it. For some reason, I had never read any of his Lemoore books. And I want to say it was in high, it was definitely in high school. You lent me, it's something with a drum in the title, Todd. It's called The Walking the, Drum. Yeah. It's about Spain, drum?
1: actually. And who knew, who would have known then that I would, uh, take the career path that I did. But, but yeah, it's about Spain. It's about medieval Spain.
0: And I think, If I'm remembering correctly, Todd, I think you gave it to me at cross-country camp. Uh, Probably. And and I think I read it at cross-country camp, which to me says maybe we weren't weren't doing cross-country camp correctly.
2: (laughs) Of
1: course we we were. Of course we were. You can read a Lamore novel in one day, as I can attest, uh, because I read a Lamore novel in one day today.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I can uh, also attest to that, because I picked this up from the library on Monday, and I was done pretty quickly. Yeah.
1: It's a quick, uh, easy read. Breezy read.
0: Yeah, so this is my first Lemur Western, and I just gotta say, it hit basically every note I wanted. Did it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get into this, but like the idea of a Lamore Western, even though I'd never read one, like I knew, I knew
1: uh-huh. what I was
0: gonna be in for, and that's exactly what I got, and I enjoyed it.
1: Oh, I'm <laughs> so glad. I, I was a little bit worried. Uh, as I was reading, I thought, "Oh, Joe's going to think this is so formulaic and lame."
0: Oh, it was so formulaic, but there <laughs> were moments where, like, I know what's coming, and then when it starts to happen, like, I was reading it and I had a massive grin on my face when he's showing yes. down the guy uh. in in the street, like when he steps out into the street to call out the guy. He says, Fill I know your exactly hand. what's coming. <laughs> I knew exactly what's was coming, but I like I had a smile as I was reading this action. Yes, even though it, you know, it wasn't surprising. There weren't huge twists. It was just fun.
1: Yeah. So we've talked before on this podcast about how uh, a writer can achieve greatness either by doing something completely new or by following a pattern and just doing it really, really well and knocking it out of the park. And I, that's to me what Lamour does, like with every novel, he just, he has a formula and it's pretty, pretty, pretty close to the same formula for every novel that he does, but he just, he hits it out of the park every time. It's, you're never going to be disappointed.
0: All right. Well, quick, short synopsis, uh, listeners. Uh Lance Kilkenny is a wandering gunslinger aiming to settle down near a small town, which is soon overrun by a bad man and his thugs. Guess what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> if that sounds interesting, you might want to go read Kilkenny. It's... My copy, I think, was only like 125 pages, and it's a pretty quick read, but it's a pretty pleasant read, too. Uh,
1: You can get it on uh, Kindle. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at your local library. You could get it at your local used bookstore, I'm sure. Uh, Before we move on, uh, we'd like to remind you that you can support our show on Patreon. Some of you may be wondering, what is Patreon? What is this Patreon that these men speak of? Well, dear listener, one of the things that makes podcasts great is that they're free for you, listeners. But did you
0: ever stop... We we want to take that away.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But but did you ever stop to wonder, how is it that we can support this awesome entertainment? If if you, listener, aren't paying for it, then who is? Well, the answer is... Us, we pay for it. If you don't pay for it, we pay for it. And uh, that's not always easy. So that's where Patreon comes in. If you go to com slash protagonist, that's patreo com slash protagonist, you will see that we receive exactly $18 per month from you, our dear supporters, for the work that we do here, which is exactly enough to cover the cost of hosting the podcast. Uh, thank you to all of us, to all of you. Who have helped get us here.
0: Like, literally, that exactly covers our web hosting and our posting through Libsyn, which is a service to post the audio files onto iTunes and other
1: places. So our next goal is a whopping $29 per month, uh, which would take some pressure off of us uh, by helping to pay for the ProtagonistPodcast.com website. To get there, we need exactly 11 of you to pledge $1 per month, which is about 25 cents per episode, or six of you... If you, if, if only six of you want to pledge, we need $2 per month, which would be 50 cents per episode if you're doing the math. To donate, just click on the big become a Patreon button. With just a few more clicks, you'll be a monthly, monthly patron giving us any dollar amount you want per month. It's a great way to help us out. Please consider donating. In fact, go ahead and hit pause on the podcast right now and jot down a reminder to check out patreon.com slash protagonist the next time you sit down at your computer. Then come on back. Go ahead. We'll wait.
0: If you pledge a certain dollar amount, you get to buy a topic. So if if you become a patron, you can just request a topic and it'll be one of the next episodes that we tackle. Todd, what is that dollar
1: amount? $5 per month.
0: Okay. If you do $5 per month, about a dollar twenty-five per episode, you would receive the rights to name any great character in a great story and we will cover it.
1: Okay. So everybody go ahead. Uh, hit pause. We'll wait. Go ahead. Not really. Okay. Are you back? Okay. All right. Ready.
0: All right, we're going to hit the long synopsis, so if you're going to go read the book first, just you know, go knock out that two hours of We'll reading. see you in two hours. <laughs> and, uh, but here comes the, the full synopsis with all the spoilers and then our, our in-depth discussion.
1: Okay, the story begins with a lone rider coming out of the desert. He's been injured, not too badly, and he heads into a stage stop called Clifton House looking for a meal. In the house, a hot-headed young man looking for a fight starts to goad this stranger. It seems like it's just a dumb idea, but... Whatever, it's the Wild West. Uh, what the youth doesn't well, know is that he- Well,
0: the goading, I, I like the form the goading takes.
1: He <laughs> says, like, basically, I see you're wounded. I bet it's cause you were running away. And then, <laughs> and then the, and then the gunman says, I hope you're joking. And then he says, no, I'm not. I think you were running away. And then, and then the, 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 the guy who has- So anytime in a Lamar novel that, uh, that a man comes in and he's dusty and he has his two guns tied low on his hips, you just don't – you don't mess with him. You don't tell him that you think he's running away. Uh, what this youth does not know is that he's picking a fight with Lance Kilkenny, the fastest gun in the West. Uh, the peaceful Kilkenny tells the kid back off, but the young man goes for his gun instead. Uh, so Lance waits a split second so everyone can see that the kid drew first. Then he draws and kills the kid.
0: And the kid didn't
1: even get his gun out. Didn't even clear leather. Uh, Kilkenny grabs his things and leaves. Someone comments to him that he's going to have to pay for killing that boy, who it turns out is the son of an important rancher called Jared Tetlow. Just
0: file that name away. It could, (laughs) could become significant.
1: Kilkenny heads for the hills. He finds a beautiful piece of land far, far away from town, high up in the mountains, and he begins to build build a home. Kilkenny's kind of a mysterious man. He's obviously had this bloody past, uh, but he seems to be looking for a peaceful and quiet life that until now has proven elusive. We also learn that he's in love with a woman called Nita Riordan, who is basically the incarnation of beauty and grace and grit and everything that any man would ever want in a woman. Uh, File that name away as well. Could become significant. <laughs> but uh, but Kilkenny left her because he is an idiot. And <laughs> he uh, his Well, no, uh, this is the superhero reason. <laughs> His life is dangerous, and his dangerous lifestyle would leave him dead too early, which would break her heart. So he left her, thus breaking her heart. Occasionally, Kilkenny must head into town for supplies. While there, he uses the alias Trent. But soon, everybody knows that he's really Kilkenny because... He is Kilkenny. Uh, he finds out that Jared Tetlow has brought in a group of thugs and is going to start pushing people off their land so he can run his huge ranching outfit. Kilkenny also finds out that Nita Riordan has a ranch in the area. It seems that no matter how far he runs, he can't get away from this woman, and he can't get away from trouble. At- I told you both to remember both those names, and here they are. Here they are. Already- here they are. <laughs> After Tetlo and his men kill a small rancher and threaten another, Kilkenny has had enough. He charges into town, directly confronts some of Tetley Tetlo's men, and whips them with his bare hands. So open hand, like slapping, uh, <laughs> takes care of these men. Then he then he faces down Tetlo in the street, challenges him to a draw. He says, fill your hand, which is just a great line. Uh, and Tetlo backs down, totally humiliated. Uh, but, and then someone tells him, Hey, that guy that just did that to you, that's Kilkenny, the guy who killed your son. So then Tetla swears revenge and Kilkenny heads for the hills. There's lots of kind of come into town, head for the hills, come into town, head for the hills, come into town, head for the hills. <laughs> it, it,
0: I never got a firm handle on how
1: far away his home is. It's pretty far. It's, uh, there's one point where they've just left town and he says it's 10 miles as the crow flies, but 20 miles of travel. So right. he's a he's a ways out, and yeah, they're he's, he's out and they're not directly. I mean, they're they're out outside of town when he says that. So we can imagine he's picked a far away place. He doesn't like people particularly, uh, except for Nita, except for Nita, uh, because every time he's around people, he ends up killing them. <laughs> so he doesn't he doesn't like that,
0: which which would turn you off yeah. after a while.
1: <laughs> so soon lines are drawn. People in the town pick sides, and Nita fills up uh, with hope when she hears that Kilkenny's around. Uh, oh, did I think you said it? But we—I I think it's important to note. Nita like is a ranch owner
0: and ranch hand. Like she does everything.
1: She, she cooks. She cleans. She, she has
0: ranch hands that help her, but she also rides out and does work. She shoots if she's
1: left out in the mountains. No big deal. She can shoot and 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 clean her own game and take care of that. She she can handle. She just is. She's she she does it, she does it all. Whatever you want out of a woman, Nita will will take care of it. Or a man. I mean, she's just she's really uh, she, she's the total package for Kilkenny, yeah. <laughs> and every man that's ever met her is like, "Holy cow!" Uh, but she really has only ever loved Kilkenny, and and everybody knows that it's the match made in heaven. So soon, lines in the town are drawn. People are picking sides. Uh, Nita is full of hope because she hears that Kilkenny's close, but she still hasn't seen him. Uh, Tetlow sends his men into the mountains to hunt uh, Kilkenny, who realizes this and then leads them on this hellish chase. Uh, through the desert, um, because he he thinks he wants them to suffer before he kills them. Uh, he leads them through the desert for a week, stealing their water during most of the time. And <laughs> like generally, night, he'll sneak into camp and take their canteen. Generally, making their life miserable. Then he goes back into town for a bit, but then he leaves again, uh, tired from toying with Tetla's men. Kill Kenny finds a secluded place and sleeps. When he wakes up, Nita has somehow found him. And they reaffirm their mutual love, although he tells her he can't be with her. She responds to this with some pretty good logic, pointing out that he hurts her today and every day because he's afraid of hurting her tomorrow, which seems pretty sound. And I think he kind of gets it at that point. When they make their way back to Nita's uh, ranch, which is called the KR Ranch, Tetlow's men have started a stampede there. Uh, That mass of crazed cattle apparently kills all of Nita's men. Kilkenny sends her up to a hidden lake, and then he goes to examine the damage from the stampede, and he finds one of Nita's hands, a big man called Kane. And this is one of uh, Kilkenny's friends from previous uh, adventures. Uh, and he gets, he gets Kane to safety, then he goes into town. Uh, attention turns briefly to a guy named Jaime Brigo. He's uh, Nita's foreman. And, uh, when, when the, when he realizes that, that Tetlo's men have killed all of the men in his, uh, on his team, uh, Brigo goes bananas and, uh, he's a Yaki Indian and anybody who knows anything about the Yaki Indians in Mexico, uh, they are like crazy good fighters (laughs) so he uh he makes himself some moccasins out of his saddlebags and then he just starts hunting down tetlow's men with a knife in the night um (laughs) which is pretty terrifying for them uh, when Kilkenny arrives at the hidden lake where he's supposed to rendezvous with Nita, he finds that D. Havilik, Jared Tetlow's most skilled gunman, has captured her. Kilkenny tracks Havilik's party and takes Nita back in a surprise nighttime attack on their camp. He just, he just storms into camp on his horse, sweeps her up, uh, and then rides off. Uh, Havilik is pretty upset about this. Um, and then while they're making their escape, they, they narrowly escape a huge flash flood because why not? Uh, now there's open war between those who follow Tetlow and those who are with Kilkenny and Nita. Uh, they chase each other around. This is uh, Kilkenny's team and Tetlow's team, not Kilkenny and Nita. They're just sort of together. Uh, and they skirmish for a while. Uh, but in the end, Kilkenny and his friends, the sheriff, the marshal, the lawyer, the doctor, and a few ranch hands are able to clean things up. They throw Tetlow in jail. And it looks like everything's over. But remember that guy, Havilik, the bloodthirsty gunman? He's still on the loose. Uh, Nita moves in with Kilkenny on his new ranch and then one day Lance heads into town, uh, so Kilkenny has to head into town because Tetlow has said he wants to see him. It's a trap, uh, not surprisingly, uh, but Lance and his friend Kane take care of Havlick and his men. The novel finishes with Kilkenny returning to his new ranch to be with Nita where uh, and, and, and proposing marriage to her. It's time to settle down for good. The end.
0: Well done, Todd.
1: Did I cover it all?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you hit all all the key points. So... I think there's a lot of interesting things we can cover uh first of all should we talk about kilkenny himself sure what do you think uh all i could think as i was reading this was wolverine <laughs> really <laughs> this this man was like wolverine this guy came first in 1954 but uh <laughs> the comic book wolverine uh, character comic book character wolverine is defined particularly by chris claremont in the uh in the 1980s is pretty much that <laughs> like it, the, whenever he's about to fight Kilkenny, like he starts talking about, he's going to go into berserker mode and you yeah. can feel it rising within him. And you know, he wants to be a civilized man, but when this comes on, there's nothing he can do, which is the battle that Wolverine fights for, you know, a decade of comic book issues. And he has this internal monologue about his berserker rages that take him over when he's, when he's in in a fist fight
1: yeah so i just want to read this a devil was driving him now and he was cold with fury he stepped toward the other man his hands ready to his guns he felt it building inside him but was helpless to stop it he was berserk with fury and ready for anything heedless of anything he could not have stopped had he faced the whole 40 outfit and then he says and this is when he faces tetlow he says take him and get him out of the country move him out you've come looking for trouble and here it is and if you don't like what i say fill your hand (laughs) awesome so I the thing so the reason that I loved uh Kilkenny as a kid um I was I don't know maybe See I don't know if people that know me would think would say oh yeah Todd was a total loner when he was a kid but I felt like one I don't know <laughs> I don't know if you can anyway I felt like one and I and I identified oh,
0: Wait wait Todd so you're saying you were an adolescent? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but this is even younger. I mean, well, yeah, adolescent, I guess early adolescence, like junior junior high age. Uh, but I felt like a loner, and I really identified with this guy who just kind of wanted to be left alone. Like, just let me find one beautiful woman that I could settle down with forever <laughs> and just leave me alone. Like, stop bothering me, world. I just and want a beautiful woman and
0: an entire valley to
1: myself and my herd. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah is that too much to ask? <laughs> Uh, but you know, he's like, he's, he's smart and he's educated. He loves French food. There's so much, there's so many mysteries that are just not explained in this novel at all.
0: Oh, I want to touch on like you, you just mentioned he loves French food. And the way we find that out is in this very small, uh, Uh frontier town, there's the, is that the hotel where the, Uh the, there's a hotel that has, um, a menu with two sides and one side is classic Western grub and the other side is fine French food. And Kilkenny sees that, and he immediately orders from the French food side, and the chef is just delighted. He loves to cook his French food. Because he's French. He's French, and he, he's like, I, everyone always orders the, the frontier grub, but when mm-hmm. I get the chance to make my French cuisine, that's what makes him happy. Yeah.
2: Is, is, is this, like, a secret backstory thing where, like, Kilkenny did, in fact, spend five years in France or something like that? Well, Do, it's never like, explained. Or does he have a mystery yeah, background. it's it's
1: never explained really. We know that he served in the in the American Civil War.
2: Because uh, speaking of connections, there's a a
0: man who he saved is the town drunk, right? <laughs> who, who sides with him? So this when is
1: the lines are drawn. This is this is Lamore's Western U.S. and I I get the impression that it's I mean it's obviously it's romanticized, but he also did do a lot of research. He traveled around the West a lot. Um, my impression is that he he writes about specific places, but but Lamore's West is is different from, well, different from the way that we may think about it. In that it's huge, it's vast, but there are always connections with people. This the uh, this idea that he finds like the farthest away corner that can, he can possibly find, and then it turns out that not only is the woman of his dreams just happens to be there, but also the guy whose son he just killed like 2 weeks before is and also a man there. he saved during the and civil war and the man <laughs> whose life he saved during the civil war are all in this little town but lamore gives us this impression that even though the west is huge it's like you can never really escape from the people like there 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 are connections between everything and part of what makes reading lots of lamore good and what makes I think what makes it kind of addicting once you get into reading Lemoore novels is that they're all connected. So you'll hear a reference to Kilkenny in some novel that has nothing to do with Kilkenny. Or you'll find out that Kilkenny is somehow related to another really important character or or family of characters uh, in totally different novels. And so he really – um he really kind of keeps track of people and where they are and when they are where they are supposed to be and, and weaves this big tapestry. The other thing is that the West is full of really, really interesting people. Um, so, you know, there's the French chef who has, you know, this, this really fine French menu, uh, but he also happens to be really good with a gun. And mostly just wants to cook, but when it's time, you know, whenever, when everything hits the fan, then he's the guy that you want to have on your team. Uh, lots of these, uh, more protagonists have, um, Plutarch and all kinds of like philosophical and poetic books in their saddlebags just cause like, why not? Um, so, so it's not surprising to see really educated, uh, people in Lamore novels, he likes to write characters who are smart and and well read and have these mysterious pasts, but he doesn't bother explaining at all.
0: Todd, my copy of this book uh, has a very detailed map of the canyons in the area that he describes. Oh, really? Book have- no, yeah. it doesn't. I love detailed maps. Really? Kind of a book. I love it in fantasy books. I love it. In-
1: <laughs> Do you love it as as you love watching um, how they hide pregnant women in uh, in sitcoms?
0: This is not quite that much, <laughs> <laughs> but if this was a uh an interior map of like a secret base in a superhero, that I would love that much. Okay, like when they when they give like the side view of the mountain base of GI
2: Joe, that's sort <laughs> of like, <laughs> the cut out, yeah, the cut
0: out, yeah, side view. That's nice. up there with finding yeah. how they're hiding the the actresses pregnant in sitcoms. So when, that- when
2: Joseph says this is a detailed map, like it is a topographical looking map, like it it it's not in color, but it has the you know, topographical gradations drawn in in pen. So did you
1: you find yourself referring to it?
2: I did. Yeah, because it has the town's name and
0: some of the the canyons that he mentions by name, Mm -hmm. Uh, which this is southeastern Utah, which if you've ever been there, the canyons are insane. (laughs) And I have to say, Kilkenny, for a man who just wandered into this area of the country for the first time... He gets to know it pretty quickly. Yes, he does,
1: and he knows the <laughs> names of everything. That's what's so surprising to me. He's like, and there's Blue Ridge, and there's Horse Horse Draw Creek, and I'm like, who told you? <laughs> yes. Do you have a map? Do you have this detailed map? Or does he German? just maybe he just makes them up?
0: Uh, yeah, but he also like when he does this crazy chase, like he's planning where he's
1: leading these people oh, to. Like, so how long good. was
0: he was he exploring these canyons yeah. before? <laughs> He went into town for the first time. Well,
1: he does spend a lot of time. Uh, and this is this is sort of across the board for all L'Amour protagonists. They will spend lots of time exploring their surroundings before because they know that they're going to be in a tight spot. So it's not surprising that he finds the hidden lake. It's not surprising that he checks out the desert country. Um, and he does have a lot of time while he's building that house to just explore. I mean, there, there's a lot of time that goes by in, in a short period of pages. Where he's found his, this piece of land that's way up in this hidden mountain valley and he's building a house there and he has time to go around and explore. And because of who he is, you know that he's looking for. Um, do you think you could build your ho- a house by yourself? <laughs> um, no, not, not, out, not with my bare hands and rocks. Like an awesome, cool ranch house. Yeah,
0: it sounds like he's he's carrying some pretty big rocks around to just build, yeah. and he's cutting them and shaving them to the perfect size. I don't have that skill set myself.
1: It's yeah, yeah. So, but he's he, he's not just a killer; he's a builder. I mean, yeah. that's what he really wants to do is settle down and build.
0: And that's an interesting tension for Western heroes. But I, I mean, we've talked about this before. It, there's an American tradition of the outsider hero mm-hmm. who. Wants to be part of society, but doesn't fit into society and uses the tools that are outside of society. So the violence and, you know, the underworld connections and film noir and all these other things, things that don't belong to society. He uses those to protect society, but the character himself never really belongs. And this one's interesting because it ends with him belonging, but because there are sequels, I'm going to guess it doesn't last.
1: Yeah. And I'm trying to remember. So I I do, as you know, struggle remembering specific uh plot um plots of stories. So I cannot remember if the the stories that follow are backstory on Kilkenny or if they're future stories.
0: And I can see it working either way. Like if, it's, if there's no future stories, you're saying he finally made it. He's settled down.
1: Yeah. Like I do remember, um, like I remember a scene from one of those novels where he's with Nita and they're just kind of snuggling up against a log and he's smoking a cigarette. And there's something about the scene that kind of stuck with me. But I, I honestly cannot remember if it's pre or post this novel. I think it's pre. I think it's the story of when they met the first time.
0: So uh, I, why do you think we have that kind of character resonate so much? The one who is protecting society again with the rules of the outsider, or, you know, with the techniques of the outsider – uh, and never quite. Existed. So we have it with the, the cowboy is a clear and iconic version before that. There's the frontiersman, but the, the film noir, you know, the detective, the private eye, uh-huh. uh, who's not part of the police force, su- superheroes all the
1: time. And these are <laughs> all, I mean, Lamore wrote every single one of those c- types of characters. So he has, yeah. he has a short story collection called Hills of Homicide. That's noir. He has lots of frontier novels that are really cool. Kind of early frontiersman novels. He has pirate novels. Uh, he has Western novels. He has, <laughs> uh, but in all of his, the, 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 the thread running through is this type of character and, um, <sighs> the only one that he hasn't written is the superhero, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I don't know. I think there's something, there's something, uh, both attractive and, and sort of repulsive In that, that kind of character, if you've ever been around somebody and and you just feel safe, like, oh, I'm so glad that this person is here because I feel safe. If if you've ever been, I don't know, really far away from home, uh, for any period of time, like maybe on a study abroad or something where you're just like, oh, I am so far away from home and, and there's nobody around here that really makes me feel safe. And then you run into somebody that you do know, or maybe you have an advisor or, or something, something about that, that feeling of safety uh, that I think these characters endow on the people around them, but there's also something kind of terrifying about them that keeps them very interesting and unpredictable. And and I think that's maybe part of it. It's certainly not all of it.
0: I'm wondering if part of it is for like an American mythology, like our you know our founding fathers kind of were that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they were in open rebellion against the established. Yeah uh, society and, and, you know, the revolutionary war, a lot of, uh, you know, the stories you hear is that the, the Americans were kind of using dirty tactics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cause it's, cause it's all they had. So I wonder if it's part of like our national identity being formed at that's that moment kind of, uh, we ended up revering some of, uh, that kind of character in a way that maybe in some other er- regions, there was like a more classically authoritarian characters, you know, were taking on that role.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, is that, and Lemoore is certainly interested in the history, not just the history of the West, but the history of uh, like westward expansion. So his most famous series is called the Sackett, the Sackett uh, saga, and it starts with the first Sackett guy. Sackett is the last name of this guy who lives in England. And he crosses over the ocean and settles and, and the Sackets are always pushing the boundaries of the frontier. So they're never in big cities. They're always on the, on the fringes of society. They're a tough family. Um, and, and they're, they just, they don't fit, they don't fit in with regular society. And as soon as they're in a place that's settled, then the Sackets move on. And the, and the West especially is a place where, and this is the tension that you see that you see in this novel is that and and you touched on it before that Kilkenny wants law and order <laughs> you know he he's like I've been deputized and I'm going to arrest you now and put you in jail <laughs> because that's what he wants to do but you know that that all of the skills that he has have come from a a different lifestyle than that he has not been a law abiding citizen forever <laughs> um and to get the kind of skills that he has you have to have um, been way on the outside fringes of society for a significant amount of time, uh, but but it's not what he wants. It's what he is, but it's not what he wants.
0: Um, you said he's not law abiding, but you get the sense that he has followed you know this this code of the West. Yes, you know the. You know, he makes sure he's not drawing first, uh, or he, even if he's insulted, he's not going to draw first. Yeah. He's going to give the guy the chance to back down. Like, the insult, apparently, according to the Code of the West that we're getting in this version of the American West, like, the insult itself is enough to warrant sure. a shooting. And I don't know how true that is to what the American <laughs> West was versus how much that is what we've been given in all of our dime novels and, you know, our paperbacks sure. and our, our spaghetti westerns and all those. Uh, but, you know, he's... He's living well within that code, <laughs> you know, he's, yeah he's not on the edge of that
1: I don't want to intimate in any way that Kilkenny is a criminal or that he has been. There are characters in this novel, and even so Dolan is uh Kilkenny's friend, this guy that he saved his life, and Dolan is for sure a criminal, and he says like I wouldn't mind uh holding up a bank or staging a Uh, A stage robbery. I think he was.
0: I've done that a couple times. I've actually done that, yeah. And
1: and like I I uh, have a an pretty unsavory crowd around me. I love that the that the bar where all of the unsavory crowd is called Savories. (laughs) Uh, So, but and Kilkenny's not that guy. He's not a criminal. Uh, but but you don't get a reputation for being the fastest gun in the West by accident. And, And and this is like Wolverine, or I'm trying to think of other good characters like this who. They're like, oh, don't make me fight. Like, I will kill you. I know (laughs) that I will kill you and I don't want to kill you. But he also can't walk away from it. Right? Yeah. And he does and he's not like, oh, I'll just wing him, you know? (laughs) Which Mm -hmm. which would be another, you know, a different kind of character who would say, Well, I'll shoot him in the kneecap and then I'll and then I'll leave. Like Kilkenny just ends it. It's kind of like a Ender Wigan in a way.
0: Yes, Ender was one that I was thinking of actually. Like he's desperate. Like he's like, I don't want to fight <laughs> in the showers when the bullies are coming after uh-huh. him. He's like, please, anything but this. And then they make him fight, and he ends it. And he know? mentions
1: he even mentions at some at some point, um, who was it uh, that so and so didn't understand the philosophy of war, which is you don't want victory; you want to eliminate the possibility that your enemy will ever come after you again. And that's exactly that's Ender Wiggin perfectly described right right and it uh, says i don't i don't want to win this battle i want to win this battle and every single battle that will ever come after and that's Kilkenny. that's why he drags those guys into the desert and makes them suffer for so long (laughs) because he he does psychological warfare as much as he does anything but when he gets in a fight he fights to win and he fights to kill i mean shoots to kill he doesn't uh, you know, it's not this green arrow thing where he's like, well, I'll just, you know, shoot their weapons out of their hands. Depends on which season of green arrow. You're well, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it, well, it also made, it was Tetlow who, um, it was when he had run everyone that was on, uh, Kilkenny's side out of town and he'd taken over every ranch and his, his, you know, his cattle were grazing everywhere he felt like he'd won. He'd won the the city. And that's where it says like, he didn't understand (laughs) like your enemy is still out there and this enemy is going to win. Like you, you have a temporary victory and you're, you're going to actually get to feel too comfortable. Yeah. Um, it also made me think of, uh, Summer Glau
1: in the Firefly movie. Um, is she the, is she the girl? Yeah. The girl. Okay. Yeah. River. River. Yes.
0: Thank you. Um, (laughs) And there's a moment where, uh, like she has been kind of huddled and not doing anything. And then she stands up and says, it's time. And you just know, this is not going to go well for anyone yeah. who's in the room with her <laughs> when she says, it's time. Like she's been pushed too far. <laughs> and now that she's going to go take care of business, she is really going to take care of business. And
1: there is something in uh, inside of me, certainly this, it's the same kind of thing that you were talking about before. This kind of grin that you get on your face, like, okay, you push this bear, (laughs) you poke this, (laughs) you poke this sleeping bear one too many times, and now you're going to get what's coming to you. And there's something cool. uh, I mean, I think there's something exciting or satisfying in seeing bad guys get justice from good guys who know how to take care of bad guys.
0: (laughs) Right. And the good guy who isn't like out seeking it like this, when Kilkenny has that fight in the, in the street, which is what I said when I had like this wild grin. And I, I remember that very same feeling. But I, I felt it in the entire theater when I saw um, the Firefly movie. Is it called Firefly, the movie? Serenity. Or, Serenity, Serenity. Serenity is Serenity. The, the The Firefly is a TV show. Yeah. Um, but I remember when she said, it's time. Like, the theater had this audible gasp of, like, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was feeling in this novel as the action was building. And he wasn't doing anything, wasn't doing anything. But then he's like, okay. <laughs> They're, you know, they've gone too far. Uh-huh. They crossed the line. And I'm going to put them back on the other side of the line.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, So I've been sitting on two questions I want to ask you guys on on this topic. For any new listeners who are following up after a recent surge we had with Gunner Creek Court, this is our producer Andrew jumping in. Question for us. And so one question is kind of a short one, and it's about the opening where he waits for someone to draw first and then still outdraws them by a mile. Yeah. And, and, And that's a very Western thing. I mean, you have that in... In all the westerns, yes. really. I mean, uh, my every, favorite every spaghetti one. Spaghetti western. My favorite one is in Bush Casting Sundance Kid mm-hmm. is someone asks him, how good are you? And the Sundance Kid turns around, shoots the man's gun belt off and then shoots the gun into the corner between the legs of tables and chairs. <laughs> um, you know, all in, in yeah. a split second. But so like, what is the philosophy of that? demonstration, not just for the character, but in, in in relation to other characters, but for the writer of, of a novel or, or the filmmaker, why do they need to do that for the audience? And then should I ask my other question now, or do you want to go for that one first? Let's tackle this one first. Go ahead. So I think it's a way
0: to establish the expertise in something that is brutal and violent, but you don't want the character to be brutal and violent like it, it is excusing this display of their awesome awesome prowess uh because they were goaded into it and they actually tried not you know not to do it.
1: Hey and you see uh, and Lamore does this I I uh, what am I gonna, what am I trying to say? So I had a friend uh a neighbor um he's a he an older guy. He's probably in his 90s now. Uh, and he was an old cowboy from out on the Kaibab Plateau, which is in Kanab, Utah, which is right in the area where Kilkenny is, uh, takes place. Uh, and then he he was also a scholar. And his, book, his house was full of books. And he had like every Louis L'Amour novel, and he would lend them to me. And then we'd go and we'd talk about it and talk about philosophy and the West and stuff. And he told me that he took a group of um, scholars on like a camping trip. And he was reading a Lamore novel to them in the in the evenings around the campfire. And at first, they were all kind of skeptical, like, "Oh, this kind of dime western. There's nothing really interesting here." And by the end, they were all kind of enraptured, and they were having these really deep philosophical conversations about what was being presented in the novels. And Lamore is a, he's smart, um, and oh, I'm trying to remember where I'm going with this now. But uh, he, and, oh, this is where I'm going with this. He's a really good writer, and he is able to set up uh, in – I mean, Joe, you wrote to me a message in Slack saying, more waste no time in setting up the conflict. <laughs> <laughs> He's a very concise writer, and what he does in this initial scene is tell us loads about Kilkenny uh, in, like, three pages. We know who well, he, he is. He- we know what his ethics are. We know what his skill set is. Uh, we know – we know a lot about him. And but
0: there's also enough backstory that he's still mysterious. Mm-hmm. Like, so, we don't know how he became this.
1: Right. He comes in. So he comes riding in. He's all dressed in black, which is mysterious. He comes riding in from the desert. He has a wound that we have no idea how he got. I and mean, that's
0: actually never explained in the story. No, huh? In this novel. And that's just fine. Enters with a wound.
1: Yeah, but that's who he is. He's, he's a fighter, and trouble follows him wherever he goes. Um, and. But so specifically with this scene, he gets goaded into this thing. He turns around and says, "I hope you're joking," meaning like I'm going to give you an out right now, <laughs> uh, son. And then, and then the kid—it's obvious to Kill Kenny, and he knows he's good enough at reading people that he knows exactly where this is headed, and there's really no way out of it for him. Uh, but in uh, in part to protect himself from the law is one reason why he lets the kid draw first. Because right when it happens, he turns to the whole crowd and he says, you all saw it. He drew first. And they say, yeah, yeah. But there's this one girl, like a young girl that's come in off the stagecoach. And she's terrified. And she looks at him with this horrified face and says, you monster, you monster. Uh, And I think it serves as kind of a cue for the reader uh, saying, yeah, this guy is cool. But he's also pretty terrifying.
0: Um, Though that – young lady does seem to fall in love with him
1: yeah pretty quickly when she realizes that he's that he's he's living the code of the west that he lives the code of the west and he's and you know when he meets her again because she obviously shows up in this small town which
0: (laughs) yes that's right she's there as well she's there as
1: she's there as well and she sees him and she says you're the guy and he says hey i'm really sorry about that thing i i you know i hope you can understand and she says, well you know i've had some time to think about it and i realized that Um, that you're right. You were, you were goaded into it and he was looking for it and you let him draw first. Uh, so, you know, everything's fine. And she turns out to be one of the good guys in the end. So, so I think it does something. I think that it shows, uh, this code of ethics. Um, it also protects him from the law. Uh, and that's important, you know, moving forward because, because Kilkenny wants the West to be settled. But he wants it to be settled in the right way. Tetlow wants to settle it by having huge ranching outfits, and Kilkenny wants to settle it by letting uh, regular people have small ranching outfits and not be killed by big ranchers. Before our priest Andrew gives us the second question, I wanted to say there are some
0: interesting asides about what America means. Yes, <laughs> as uh, you get this, uh, you, you get Tetlow's philosophy contrasted with. Uh, Kilkenny's, and Kilkenny will think, you know, that's not the war we fought for. You know, we didn't fight, uh-huh. so that the big man could just ride in and establish an aristocracy here. Yep. Uh, like, America is about everyone having equal opportunity at all times.
1: Small business owners, right? Yes. <laughs> he's the small businessman.
0: He's, he's all about the an- entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and so I, I just thought it was interesting that um Lamore is quite deliberately – in this, you know, wild, unbroken West, still making some arguments about what America should be.
1: Yeah. Yep. What's your next question?
2: Okay. So the other question is, and, and this could be applied to a lot of the different outsider heroes, but let's deal with Kilkenny because it might be different for different characters. What is it about Kilkenny that allows him to have all of the skills of the lawless? without having ever become lawless himself. (laughs) I mean, he has every skill that all of the bad guy characters in this novel have, and he has it because he's had the same experiences they've had. And he, and he's had those experiences in a way that none of the other townspeople will have had. That's what makes him the hero, what makes him capable. So why is he able to have all that experience and not become tainted? I guess in the same way,
1: in this novel particularly, there are, it's often in a Lamar novel that you'll see a bad guy whose skills equal the good guy in almost everything. And in this novel, we don't see that. Uh, Havilik is as is, fast as a gun, is as fast, possibly as fast with a gun as Kilkenny is, but he doesn't have any of the other skills of tracking, uh, or, um, you know, frontiersmanship. that that Kilkenny has um so we know Kilkenny fought in a war so he's a leader because I mean he understands tactics because he was uh he was um an officer in the in the army uh we know that he has spent significant time uh, among Native Americans uh he's super good friends with this big yakky uh foreman Nita's foreman uh Jaime Brigo uh, so we know that he's gained skills somehow through that. And Lamore has really high regard for the Native Americans in general. Um, it, I can't remember a Lamore novel that's about cowboys fighting Indians or even killing Indians. It's, they're always, they always seem to be kind of respected as, uh, wise and especially wise in the ways of nature.
0: Though I will say there was one passage about, uh, Brigo where it said, like he'd gone full savage. Yes. That's a phrase. Yeah. <laughs> was like, mm, a little uncomfortable word choice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <But> <laughs> and and I think that that I
0: I don't know I'm yeah. I'm okay it's, with the word choice. Uh, yeah. Well, and also this is he's writing this one in 1954. Right. It, you, you do need that context to be part of the discussion.
1: Yeah. But he treat so um, it's certainly an idealized and romanticized vision of Native Americans, uh, but it's not uh, condescending. In, um, in the way that you would get, I think, from other writers or maybe you might see in some uh, films.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, the tradition from the earliest dime novels are, so, I mean, that, that's where all a lot of our terrible stereotypes come from. Mm-hmm. And yeah. dime novels that are playing in the Western genre, the same Western genre that Lamore is writing in, but it, I, I did get a very different feel in general in how he was discussing um, Brigo.
1: Yeah, so I I Kilkenny is obviously experienced. Uh but none of the th- none of the things that gave him this experience are from being an outlaw. So he does, he's not skilled a skilled strategist because he's had practice robbing banks. He's a skilled strategist because he was an officer in the military and he's a skilled frontiersman not because he's been you know knifing people in the night but because he somehow somewhere spent a lot of time with native americans who taught him how to uh you know move glide glide smoothly through the woods in the night and disappear from places cover his horse tracks and do all these things so there's nothing in his past that tells us that he's been outside the law we've we say that he's outside the law because he's killed a lot of people but even but in the west nothing that he's done has been illegal
0: um, but he is contrasted with, is the name of the sheriff Macy? Yes. Am I remembering that right? Like Macy is the pure, 100% ethical, law-abiding, um, you know, what's right is right, and I'm gonna do that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he needs Kilkenny in order to get rid of Tetlow when he comes in. Like, Macy is not gonna be able to do this. Yeah. He does not have the skill set. Even though, like, he respects Macy, and Macy's not backing down from Tetlow, like, he's, he, says, you know, every time uh, <laughs> so I'm going to send
1: a telegraph to the governor and he's going to send somebody <laughs> here to get you and Te- Tetlo's like, "What?" and Kilkenny's like, "I'll take care of this." <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's not going to work, Macy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you go send a telegraph. I'll see you in a couple hours.
0: <laughs> um but but he's very uh it, you know, rule of law. So when Tetlo and his men kill a couple ranchers to just to take their land, like it's 100% they're they're murdering them to take their land and their and their herds. Um Macy's like, I'm gonna look into this. And if we're able to prove <laughs> that you killed these men, you better look out, Tetlow. Meanwhile, uh, like you said, Kilkenny's over there, he killed the men. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we we know this. He's like, no, we need to go prove uh in in a way that we can defend in the court of law uh-huh. <laughs> that this is what happened.
1: And when they can't they let them go. I was always surprised, like, at how many um pretty civil conversations there are between Kilkenny and and Tetlow's men. <laughs> like, okay. I'm gonna kill all you guys or if you don't shape up and but it's it's kind of like the Nazis in uh Casablanca like they're all so kind to each you know like a <laughs> civil with each other, yes. I'll kill you later, but I'll kill you in battle, but for now we're just talking, and so it's okay. Just thinking about this idea of order and chaos and how uh Lamour's novels always place his protagonists in uh in the borderlands where a land that has been chaotic is moving towards order and what is that order going to look like and so you have people who have gained their skills in a land of chaos trying to uh, move that society into a society of order knowing that once it gets there they may have to move on um but, uh, I, I mean, that's
0: the classic cowboy riding off into the sunset. Right. Right, yeah. Which, which again, we don't get in this novel, which surprised me, and I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Oh. Let's settle down.
2: <laughs> settle down with the home.
0: Yeah. Whoa.
2: Yeah. I just made a realization. What? Producer Andrew had an epiphany. It's always riding off into the sunset because it's further west. Yes. Oh, ah. Yeah. yeah, there way to that's go. the frontier. <laughs> And
0: when we run out of frontier, our story shift to outer space <laughs> like literally the final <laughs> frontier Star yeah. Trek is one of the first that made that leap like okay we're done with cowboys
1: <laughs> yeah and <laughs> Lamore doesn't he doesn't go into science fiction or fantasy but he but he actually kind of does he has one novel called The Haunted Mesa which I actually thought about doing uh, but it's where there's like a, a modern day archaeologist and he f- um, finds a portal in a in a Kiva so the Kiva is the they're these like ceremonial pits that the Anasazi Indians uh, would use for some kind of ceremonies. And there's a portal in there and it takes him to another dimension in which the Anasazi have survived. And they have this crazy like advanced technological society. <laughs> and the guys in there are like, what? This is a Lamore novel? It's so cool. It's really, really good. <laughs> um, But I felt like if we were going to do Lamore, we had to do a Western. So that's why we got Kilkenny, which I think is not settling <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, well, I said, uh, you know, the next frontier is often serious, but I do think we still get these characters, um, in other settings. And so, so I've, we've mentioned film noir, like the private eye and mm-hmm. those is very much the same thing. But even, um, when I was talking about Macy, it also made me think of the relationship of Macy and Kilkenny is kind of like president Palmer and Jack Bauer in 24. That's
1: exactly what I was just going to say. You read yeah. my mind. President pa-
0: pa- uh, pa- Palmer is the pure ethic you know, we have to do the right thing all the time. But Jack is the one, like, to get the right thing done, sometimes you got to do bad things. Yes. <laughs> and, and he's, you know, willing, he's the one that goes and does those bad things while President Palmer would be the one sending the telegraph. Like, we, we're going to have to have a firm discussion about these, <laughs> <you> know, these <laughs> issues.
1: Yeah. I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I think, I think Kelly is a really cool character. I wanted to ask you what you thought of Nita as a character. Um, she is amazing, but i I often felt she was too amazing uh-huh.
0: <laughs> uh like in your description, you said she's she's kind of everything like she is you know in the wild west, she owns her own ranch and uh-huh. she runs it more competently than uh people who were there long before her. it seems uh-huh. um like she even bought a failed ranch and made it so much better <laughs> <laughs> in in every sense uh-huh. uh and she's almost. She's almost too idealized. So did you think that as well, Todd, that she's almost too perfect?
1: Well, I admire L'Amour for creating uh strong female characters. He could do lots of other things and uh in general in his novels, he has he fills his novels with really strong female characters. I'm gonna I'm gonna totally give him a pass on making her too great.
0: <laughs> I mean at the same time, like Kilkenny, he's you know
1: He's pretty, there is pretty something up there. of, there is something of superhero in this. Yes. The, the, the feats that he does border on the supernatural <laughs> at right. times. And e- even when, he, when he's in Doc Blaine's office and Blaine, you know, looks and then he turns around and Kilkenny's gone and he says, I didn't even, I, not only did I not see him leave, but I didn't hear the door open or close. Like it's it, a it Batman feels and like, yeah, it feels like magic. Um, and. So they are I, I, kind of larger than life characters. Yeah, both of them. And the only and woman, Nita. the only woman that could be good enough for a man as perfect as Lance Kilkenny is Nita Orden, I think. Yes.
0: And uh I don't I don't think we touched on it in your summary. Um <laughs> I did enjoy this almost it felt kind of like a a high school moment of oh does she does she like me still? Uh-huh. When he finds out that her ranch is is the KR ranch uh-huh. and he's like is that Kilkenny and Riordan, or uh-huh. is that <laughs> or is that something else? <laughs> and it it felt um that was one of the only moments of uncertainty that we got from Kilkenny in the entire novel. Right, is like maybe this means something, but I don't know if it really does. Uh, which was kind of kind of nice to see in him because um another line in the novel that I think really defines him, and maybe you remember it more thoroughly, <laughs> is when he says. It says like Kilkenny was not a man who pondered his actions
1: or something like that. <laughs> yeah, the situation is he 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 needs to get on the other side of the town. So he says, "I have two options. I can either ride my horse through the creek that runs right through the middle of town and be totally exposed to anyone in the town for fifty or sixty yards, or I can ride all the way around, which which would be you know a really long way around, and I would lose a lot of time." And then it says. Uh, he was not a man to to dally on making decisions, so he just decided to ride through the middle of town and you know, like, whatever happens, happens. <laughs> and it turns out that his friend kind of saves his, saves, his yeah, the... saves his neck, yeah, Macy. Macy saves his neck because, right as he's crossing under the bridge, Macy says, Why don't you stay under the bridge for just a second? and, <laughs> and the bad guys go by. Um, so. We, uh, a couple weeks ago, or was it last week, we played the game Agent or Not. I think there's no reason for us to play that game <laughs> with, with Kilkenny. He is super decisive and, um, he does not get pushed around almost ever or, or ever in, in this novel. But, uh, but I think I just, I don't know. I really like Nita and Kilkenny. Um if we were to yeah, do they, a val- if we were to do a Valentine's Day draft again I think that, that that they would be in my in my top pick. They're really a uh, a great couple for each other and I I really like her as a as a character. I think well
0: and we mentioned that this other woman whose name I can't remember, like she's only in a few scenes, mm-hmm. um, but you know, she clearly gets a crush on Kilkenny. And it's also clear that every single man <laughs> in, in this small town <laughs> has a crush on Nita. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for both, uh, I mean, there's just this, uh, implication that everyone, even as they have crushes on them kind of the nose, this one's not for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this one, this one's, uh, you know, I, I'm punching up in trying to, uh, if I were to try and land that one, I just think uh, it's because they're perfectly, you know, they are each other's weight class and no one else yeah. is, is equal to that.
1: But I love, I love the way that Lamore describes her, creates her as a character th- to make her desirable, not only because she's like physically attractive, but because she's capable. Yeah. She is again, more competent than almost any rancher that's surrounding this town. And that's what, that's what men in the West are looking for is a woman that they can, that can, that they can be with. That's what Kilkenny wants is he wants to settle down and he needs somebody to help him because they're in the West and it's hard. And y- you don't want a woman that is, just looks pretty and then sits there and does nothing, <laughs> leaves all the work to you. You need somebody that's going to work with you and help you build something together. And that's – I think that's why I like her so much as as a character is because, um yeah, she's beautiful and, yeah, every man is sort of gaga over her. uh, But not because – not only because she's stunning but because she's super capable and yeah, she- anybody would want to be with her
0: and not just like capable and competent at doing these tasks but she's also a good leader like uh-huh. she she's running a really really good ranch um and so With like these all these super
1: tough surly men around her that that have really kind of shady sordid paths. and she's she's pretty young i we get the impression that she's still pretty young but she's she's a super good leader and just capable in lots of different ways
0: yeah and again like the, no other character seems to Possibly be a match for each other. Yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for Kilkenny or for her. They, they need each other. And it's good that Kilkenny finally realizes it. Any final thoughts, Todd? Um.
1: Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you about. Okay, I'm ready. I wanted to ask you about this conversation between Nita and, and Lance when they meet that for the first time. So he, he's just come back from his desert excursion with, uh, Havilick and his men. And then he crashes and he wakes up and she's there. And it's not entirely clear how she found him, but
0: yeah, this almost uh, is like what you said. Some of these character traits are almost superhuman. It's like yeah. they had a superhuman attraction. Like she just knew. Yeah. <laughs> knew he was close. She sensed his presence.
1: So then they have this conversation and, and he says, um, she says, you know, Lance, you're the same. You haven't changed. Are you saying that or asking that both you're the same as I see you. I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, and then he says, uh, you're so beautiful. It hurts. And she says, hurts too. Not you, Shirley. You ran off and left me. I can hardly believe that you're the only man who ever ran away from me, Lance, and the only one I ever wanted to stay. And then he says, "You still mean that?" She says, "I I said it, didn't I?" <laughs> and then and then he says, um, "I'm not gonna. You know, it's 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 no good. Uh, you've too much to waste on me. I'm a drifter, Nita, a saddle bum, a man with a gun, and a few days, weeks, or months to live. It might come tomorrow." And then she says, "It might." But don't you think I've thought of that? Don't you think I know? Lance, look at the time we've lost. Yesterday and all the days before that, the long days after you left the border country and the days we were t- after we were together in Cedar, you know and I know we've wasted that time. I know it may not be long, and yet it may be forever. Who knows how long it is for anyone? All of us, all over the world, all of us walk along a thin edge between life and death, and it takes so little for us to fall. And uh so what do you think about this conversation? Do you... um it's so common for the superheroes to say, well, you know, I can't be with you. My life is too dangerous. Um, I think she makes a pretty compelling argument for uh, let's just, you know, carpe diem. Yeah, I
0: think so. And also, I mean, this is a little different in, you know, from the classic uh, Superman Lois Lane or the, you know, Spider-Man Mary Jane where it's um, I'm putting you in danger because – She's already living in the west, right. Uh and she's already demonstrating her full competency to take care of herself. So it's not quite the same situation as, you know, superheroes who are fighting, you know, other beings with godlike powers and they're just a normal human. Like she's already up there at the higher end of human skill level for surviving in the like west. It's like
1: Superman telling Wonder Woman, I can't be with you because I'm a superhero <laughs> and maybe I die <laughs> and she's like, "Uh, hello, I am Wonder Woman."
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's a, a little different dynamic than I think the the classic superhero explanations, but it still very much reminded me of <laughs> of those superhero conversations, which I think often feel uh forced in order to continue the the tension. Mm-hmm. And this is a novel about actually ending a lot of that tension. This isn't he, he is trying to settle down fully, like he's yeah. already building his own homestead. Yeah. And so there's no reason for him to drive her off when he's already, you know, trying to settle down. He's not going from town to town as the wandering gunman. Right. Um, he's, he's wanting that life that he was scared that he couldn't give her, but now he's working really hard to obtain that life. And I think she needs to be a part of it.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of, um, decision in the beginning where he, he goes and finds the valley and he starts to build the house. And then he hears about Tetlow and he's like, well, oh, maybe I should move on. No, I'm not moving on. This is my place. I'm tired of running. Uh, it's time for me to settle down. So I'm just going to go take care of this business. And then when he finds out that Nita is there, then it's like, for sure, uh, nobody's touching her. And I'm going to go make sure, make sure that she's, and he, I think he tells somebody at some point, uh, KR is off limits. Like (laughs) you just, uh, you don't mess with them at all.
0: Um, and uh, comic books, are operating in a different style of storytelling. Um Umberto Eco has a famous essay where he says they're they're trying to tell a continuing narrative that pleases his readers but also be a static iconic mythology uh-huh. that never changes. And so for the superhero relationships, you know, with with their their love interests, they need a reason for it to stay unfulfilled. And this novel isn't trying to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this this novel wants you to feel fulfilled at the end. Yeah. All right, Todd, before we wrap up, there's one comment on our Facebook uh, post that you made. Oh, great. uh, Asking for anyone who wanted to say something about Kilkenny or Louis L'Amour, and it's from our listener, John, who said, someone should do a study on how many times willow bark aspirin water was made in the complete works of (laughs) (laughs) L'Amour, which uh, I... I, was it mentioned in this one explicitly? I don't remember I don't I know, think I don't so. remember in this one, but um I certainly in my familiarity with westerns know that willow bark aspirin is a common thing yes it's, it's the sign that you know how to survive in the west, but it seems like everyone knows it so, <laughs> <laughs> like it's the it's the sign of your base level competency to be on the frontier, but every frontier or cowboy that I've ever read knows about it already.
1: These novels are so cool. One of the things that I love about Lamore novels is that this you get so you so you talked about hitting all the right notes. It's like you get wilderness survival and you get really great action, but you also get people who are scholars and they're reading Plutarch in the in the nights. And um, you get the romance. You get romance. It's just it's the total it's the total oh, package.
0: And, I mean, even for like the the western tropes, you have the town drunk who maybe could be a competent gunfighter if he got sober. Uh (laughs) You have the sheriff who's unbending. You have, you know, the rich guy who's riding into town, who thinks he's going to own everything. And you have the people who leech onto him instantly. Like you have everything that we've come to expect within a Western, but again, it's told well, so it doesn't feel like it's derivative, even though I kind of know what the next beat is most likely going to
1: be. Well, he's the best. the 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 cover of my of my uh copy of Kilkenny says the dean of Western writers, Louis L'Amour. The dean of Western writers, and I think he is the dean of Western writers. He's he's the best. All
0: right, I, I've checked the recesses of my mind, and well, it's coming from Wikipedia, but they're quoting a book called Louis L'Amour's <laughs> Let's Western <be> honest. Fiction. <laughs> it is Louis L'Amour's Western Fiction is the book that is being quoted here, and this is coming from John Tusca who says, I have no argument that Lemore's total sales have probably surpassed every other author of Western fiction in the history of the genre. Indeed, at the time of his death, his sales had topped 200 million. Wow. What I would question is the degree and extent of his effect upon uh, the American imagination. His Western fiction is strictly formulary and frequently, although not always, features the ranch romance plot where the hero and the heroine are to marry at the end once the villains have been defeated. Not only is there nothing really new in this basic structure of his stories, even Lemore's social Darwinism, which came to characterize his later fiction, was scarcely original and was never dramatic in the media the way it was in the works of zane gray's fiction but tusca also says at his best lamore was a master of spectacular action and stories with a vivid propulsive forward motion yeah and so yeah i think you can say this is following the you know every beat of the western genre formula but it's doing it really spectacularly well
1: yeah 200 million that's not bad
0: Yeah, I I think if you've sold 200 million uh, copies in basically one genre, you can be called the dean of that genre. That's just, you know, a title that could go your way. (laughs) All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes and please leave us a review. It helps with our listenership and our self-worth. Things, uh, links to things that we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com. That's also where you can find a list of all of our previous shows, which is actually getting kind of lengthy at this point. It feels, feels good coming up on 50. Yes. And you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're all on Twitter at ProtagonistPod, at Todd K. Mac at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash podcast, And that's where most of the discussion seems to be, be happening. So if you want to participate, please jump in there. And if you'd like to buy a topic for us to discuss or support us with a financial donation, you can click the support link on our homepage or go to Patreon.com slash Protagonist. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long. So uh Todd, how did you come to kill Kenny? Well, um <laughs>
1: what?
2: I, I said- <laughs> how did I
1: come to Kill Kenny? Well, Kenny and Andrews and Andrew
0: started stifling <laughs> laughter at the side.
1: And Kenny I, and I <laughs> Kenny's always been a thorn in my side. Kenny had to go. That's how I came to Kenny. That's right, how I, I mean, came to okay, Kill like
2: Kenny. <laughs>